Welcome to Neurons to Nirvana, a platform for creative forces who challenge the unconventional in the quest for creativity, humanity, innovation, and healing of the mind and soul. Join me, Tom Hartridge, on a journey where we celebrate experiences unbound by physical borders or traditional norms, from the inside the mind to the far reaches of the universe. This is Neurons to Nirvana. Given the extensive musical history and exceptional talent of my guests this week, it is essential to properly introduce musical legends Peter Stroud and Joey Somerville, also known as Papa Jay. Peter Stroud is Sheryl Crow's guitarist of 22 years and serves as her music director. He's also toured or recorded with Don Henley, Sarah McLaughlin, Stevie Nicks, Sean Mullins, Pete Droge, and founded his own band, Big Hat. You'll get a chance to listen to a part of Big Hat's release of Feather in the Breeze as well as Peter's guitar riff from John Stamp's Airplane Mode during the episode. Outside of performance, Peter is a co-founding partner of Artist Story, a company offering deep dive metrics data for the music industry and fan engagement through social media. He has also formally co-founded 65 Amps, a manufacturer of high-end boutique guitar amplifiers. Take a look through today's show notes for links to the music graciously included with permission. Papa Jay and Peter's music are all available on iTunes and Spotify for streaming or download. The show notes also have the video link to the instrumental of the Kevin Kinney original, covered by an underground umbrella, included at the end of the podcast. It is an epic collaboration that you have to watch to appreciate the performance fully. What connected Peter and Joey Somerville, also known by the stage moniker Papa Jay, was a deep friendship with Ike Stubblefield, who I had the honor of interviewing in the previous episode. Similar to Ike's mastery of the B3 Hammond organ, Papa Jay has solidified his place in music history as a trumpeter extraordinaire, transforming his sound and genre over the years. An iconic contemporary jazz trumpet player, Joey was hearing another kind of music in his head, a quote-unquote new sound informed by years of performing with blues legends and jam band superstars, including B.B. King protege Big Joe Burrell, Colonel Bruce Hampton, Trey Anastasio Band, and Fish. Papa Jay has also collaborated with celebrated artists including Marion Meadows, Jeff Bradshaw, Bob Baldwin, and he also has four solo albums. You'll hear his song, A Prayer for Peace, from his 2002 ride to this album as a poignant tribute behind the lyrics from his upcoming single release, See you on the other side. Joey is active in the community, serving on the board of directors of the How Big Is Your Dream Foundation, an Atlanta-based charity that provides music education programs to students in underserved communities. I can think of no better way to bring in our guests than through Joey's infectious track, Might As Well Be You, included on the Papa Jay Says album, with an accompanying video featuring volunteers and children from Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I've got with me both uh, Peter Stroud, who is the lead guitarist currently for Cheryl Crow, and my friend Joey Somerville. Yeah, a.k.a. Papa Jay. Where did Papa Jay come from? So the story of Papa Jay came from, I, I, uh, I have a grandson. And um, when my grandson was born, it's sort of like, 
I'm way too young to be grandpa. And uh, my grandfather, my mother's father, we called him Papa John, so I went with Papa Jay. And my grandson Solomon, you know, called me Papa Jay, so that's where it started from. His little sister's, she she picking it up, though. How old is she? Five. Ah, okay. Yeah. Little did he know he created a nice stage moniker. Yeah, you know, it's like, you know, let's roll with that. How long have you been using it? Uh, I don't know, maybe maybe four or five years, five years. So, like, back in, um, this is going back to, like, 2016, I guess. Um, I decided I wanted to go back to, because uh, most of my records up to that point have been, on the, all my record, all my records as an artist right. were contemporary jazz stuff, just straight-up uh, trumpet stuff. And um, I did a, uh, my mentor was a blues singer. His name was Big Joe Burrell, he, blues singer and tenor sax guy. And he played, uh, he played with Count Basie and B.B. King and, you know, a host of other people and his, his own solo stuff. When B.B. King died... Um, they called me to Birmingham uh, to do a, a tribute show for B.B. King. There's a bunch of musicians. And it's like, and B.B. King is like, oh, you do the blues stuff. Like, we should bring you in. So I, w- I did, I, I did uh, Never Make My Move Too Soon, the B.B. King song. And um, we flipped around. It was a different, kind of different version than, the, than, than his record. But the people went crazy. Like they gave me a standing ovation in the middle of the show. And wouldn't sit down until they brought me back out on stage because they liked it. You know, they were like that into it. I'm like, yeah, maybe I should. Uh, maybe I should. Maybe I should just. Maybe I should do more of this. And I was sure. like, because <laughs> it, it was it was so comfortable. It was it was like I want. That's what I wanted to do. And um, how old were you at the time? Oh my god, fifty something. Yeah, this is like five years. This just is, five this, years. This ago. is like okay. 2016. Okay. Yeah. So this is so so this is like the return to the to the roots special because I had done like so the thing about contemporary jazz um and for lack of the better word on the radio gets called smooth jazz which is a a certain really codified um, specific genre and there are a lot of parameters um, and um, constraints on what's you know, considered acceptable for you to do musically or otherwise, and you know, certainly on in the recording and and on stage as well. You know, it's just sort of like a real, it's real, it's it's a specific specific thing. And um, I'm not a good I'm not good with um, with rules. Like, Nor am I. So <laughs> I'm not good with I'm not good with musical rules or like you should do it this way. It's got to be this way, this sure. that, the other. I'm very much more. Um, wide open and uh my instinct a lot of times is to go left uh you know the the figurative left right and so i think you know what why keeps why try to put a square peg in a round hole if you're if you're if you are roots and blues and funk and raw and your instinct is to go left then go somewhere where that is embraced and celebrated rather than trying to behave you know, on a record or on stage, it's hard. Or follow parameters. Or follow parameters. It's so, yeah, it's sort of like, yeah, <laughs> nah. Mm-hmm. Nah, I'm not going to do that. It's, it's, just, it's just not, well, it's not m- satisfying. It's very difficult to do. Music is creativity, just the whole, and performance is creativity. Well, yeah, we're the in the thing. music business, but it's sort of like you have, at some point, it's like this is, but we're also here because we're musicians. 
a lot of us, this is our spiritual calling. This is, you know, really what we're here on the planet for, and it's really clear. And, of course, you have to make a living doing it. I've done commercials and jingles and, you know, uh, commercial voiceovers still to, to this day. Um, and that's cool and that's fine. Um, but there's the part that, that's your artistic ex- expression and your, you know, what your, your, your core being is telling you to do and, and to, to do and to share with the universe. I choose to, uh, to, to do it, um, to, to, to try and lean into the I am version of, of Joey Papa J as opposed to, you know, they can't be what you want me to be. Right. Or they want me to be. Well, you you mentioned jam band. How did you get involved with Fish? So this is going way back. Sherman set the way back machine. (laughs) So this is in really early days of Fish. Um, They would come. I was playing a club in um, in uh, Vermont. It was I lived in Vermont. I lived. I moved to uh, to Atlanta in '97. But this is before that. This is going back to late '80s, early '90s. Yeah, you're listed. Lawn Boy, one of their first albums. Yeah, was, yeah. Uh, three songs. We had a band called the Sneakers Jazz Band, and we would do like originals and a lot of hard bop tunes. It was like a, um, uh, you know, sax, trumpet sax, um, keys, guitar, uh, upright bass, drums. Those guys, uh, the band, particularly uh, Fishman and Trey, uh, and, and and you know, Mike and Jeff would come too. I mean, they would you know, they would all come. Uh, but they would come almost every Tuesday. Uh, they and come and sit in. I mean, come and sit and you know listen to the band. And every once in a while, one of them would sit in or whatever. But I actually would call um, Fishman occasionally to sub like on jazz gigs because like the gigs I had because he was a great drummer. Yeah, he's and he was excellent. like, I'm not you know he wasn't necessarily a quote unquote jazz drummer. Sure, but he was a great drummer. He's like, like I'm like, dude, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, he's he's, he's a badass. Like, well, this was he was you know this is you, again we're going back. You're talking about yeah late eighties, thirty right? years. I you know I, I I had to pinpoint late eighties. Yeah, late eighties, early nineties, something like that. Yeah, I don't know what what year did Lawn Boy come out? Lawn Boy came out in eighty eight. Okay, so then we're going late eighties. I had fun playing with Fishman. But you play so, but you've also played with Trey's uh, band. Yeah, sitting in with Trey here and there on uh, on shows when we, we we'd be in the same place at the same time. And I come in and sit in with him. Right. Yeah. Now I I looked up and saw it listed you playing at the their Halloween show, Fish's Halloween show in '95 for they called oh, it uh, Do you remember that? Yeah, that was um that was at um it was in Chicago, the yep, Rosemont. Rosemont, that's correct. Yeah, I remember that show. Man, it was like that was like twenty three thousand people. I don't know, it was huge. It was like. It was crazy, and um, that was a crazy record to to pick to do. It was fun. When uh, I was hanging out with you over at Ike's house, you had mentioned Colonel Bruce's concert, his seventieth birthday. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was the most surreal uh, uh, night of my life so far. <laughs> knock on, I can imagine. Knock on wood, man. That was um, so. You know, I mean. Um, for those people that ever ran across Bruce or ever had a conversation, even if you if you had a ten minute conversation with him, you knew you were dealing with like, oh, this is this cat is different, right? Like, t- That's what I hear. Bruce yeah. like operated on a whole nother plane of existence. I'm like, 
Yeah, he yeah, he was using more most most of us don't use as much you know, mind, uh, consciousness, brain, whatever you want to call it that we have. Um, and Bruce was, would, would take it to the next level of that, that whole, th- we met through, I can't remember who through, but anyway, they're like, you know, come on, sit in and play on, with us on stage. And I came up to play with them and I don't, I have no idea what song they were playing. But I pull my horn, put my horn up to my face and I start playing. I'm like, because usually you can just like vibe in and mm-hmm. feel it, and you know you just you know hit a note and you're 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 pretty much there. And I start playing and like, uh, uh, is it C B B flat? Where it's like I I couldn't find what key they were in, which uh. never happens. I'm like, <laughs> I like, I'm I'm just lost in the sauce, and I'm going. And I start like, is my horn out of tune? So a trumpet, the way the trumpet works is like, once you tune a trumpet to 440, you really don't have to change the tuning slide. It, it doesn't go out of tune unless you're out of tune or unless the, something's like there's some drastic change in the temperature. 440 is where it is. You know, it's been there the same for years. So I start moving my tuning slide because I'm obviously not, I can't find the damn sliding around like, and finally, I turned. I can't remember if it was O'Teal or, or who I turned to, but I was like, "What key are you guys in?" And they go, "Oh, we tuned to 432." I'm like, <laughs> "It would be nice if somebody told me Maybe that I before I got up on stage with right. y'all and start trying to wail." <laughs> and I remember after after we played, hanging out with Bruce, right, and hanging backstage with Bruce, and like, and my my. I was thinking in my head, I'm going like, yeah, whatever he's smoking or drinking, that's too strong for me. I shouldn't do that, whatever it was. And then I found out later that Bruce, you know, this is the first time I met him, but Bruce didn't do anything. He didn't, like, he didn't. He he, was completely sober, right? Yeah, the strongest thing he drank was a Diet Coke. Yeah. I mean, like, nothing, nothing. But that's just, he was just so... On such another level, it, it just struck me as like, oh, this dude is on some other shit. <laughs> like, yeah. like, <laughs> He's on another plane. Yeah, man. He's out there in the cosmos, different he universe. Was on, yeah. He was, yeah. And he's that. had that impact on everybody I've met from people who have known him since the 60s. Yeah, he's had that kind of impact. He's that dude, him. man. He, he He's that guy. We'll say he is that guy because he's still out there. Well, yeah. he's, he's, uh, he's, he's one of those guys. He's one of those guys that if you ever met him, and if you, certainly if you ever worked with him or interacted with him, um, he had an impact on your life. And it, it, his his essence resonates with I don't I don't I I can't count the number, but countless musicians um, that 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 interacted with him, which was why you had that. Um, cast of of all stars that came for the 70th 70th um birthday show because you, you know if you ever play with with bruce um i don't remember ever ever having uh, a bad night playing with 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 bruce he knew how to make he knew how to how to get you to get out of your own way and out of your headspace out of your own yeah yeah and so there was like with bruce you could just play your 
personal expression and it was like the real you you could play the real you there was no affectation there was no that wasn't even desired or required um there were no um constraints on and if you go for it and you miss cool you went for it and you missed but you went for it at least you tried well the celebration was that you went for it yeah that was beautiful that was what it was yeah so i was um he was an incredible still is an incredible presence and an incredible spirit i think that his whole thing was all about um plugging into you and the answer is you have the answer but getting back to the point that I couldn't make, and I probably still can't make it, <laughs> but I'm going to try anyway. <laughs> I think Bruce's um, essence was for you to be you, your, your true authentic self and whatever that would be, whatever, whatever question, as long as, as long as you are leaning towards your true authentic self, that's the answer. Right. Yes. Did you ever meet him, Peter? Yes. I got to know him socially a little bit. He moved to Tucker, and we had lunch one time, maybe a couple of times, and I just felt like, I felt like it was special just the fact that he lived in our neck of the woods. You sure. Know? He lived, uh, I don't in Tucker proper, but close enough. And so there, you know, all of a sudden we started having a little bit more of a music community developing in that area. And, we felt like, oh, man, we got Colonel Bruce Hampton in our neck of the woods now. You know, it felt special with him around. But, yeah, he's, you know, he was definitely one of those guys that, you know, he was a presence. And I I saw him play at uh, at pizza place that's up in Tucker. Of course, I was blown away with, you know, because he would pull these musicians in. And you could tell that they were just, they wanted to play with him. You know, because it was free form, and it was a, a spiritual kind of thing. They were following him. They were following the path of Colonel Bruce and wherever that was going to take them. And they were all locked in on each other, but still totally, you know, uh, uh, improvising. Right. Oh, yeah. Time. Everything was like, y'all, you'll hear it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah was, don't worry about and it. And it would—it yeah. was intense. I you mean, know, that was that one song. of the more I'm intense like, shows I'd song, ever seen. Bro. I never had the opportunity to play with them. There was, I, and I miss—I miss an opportunity. So, circling back to the 70th anniversary show. So that's what happened at the end of the night. You were on stage though. Yeah, I was on stage, and 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 we all. We're just following Bruce. So this is the end of the night. So it's it's it's, it's uh, Hampton's 70th, right? Or, um, everybody's there celebrating Bruce. It's the Fox Theater. It's yep. sold out. Completely sold out. Completely sold out. The performances were on 12 from the 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 opening number to the end. Everybody played great. All you know, nothing. It was. <sighs> Perfect. I don't know if the perfect is the right word to use, but it was the whole room was lifted. The vibe musically across the board, great spirits, everybody's happy, blah, 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 blah. So we get to the encore. This is the end of the night, the encore. At the end of the encore, um, I was uh I was standing um the horns were right behind the, the guitar amps right um and um bruce had just uh come back by 
And I remember he winked at me like, this is really like, like, hey, man, this is great. He's just smiling. He winked and like, <laughs> we're having a great time, which was standard operating Bruce. And Bruce went down on a knee, but he went down slowly. Like it wasn't like he fell over like poof. He went down like he was going down intentionally. Intentionally, almost. yeah. So it looked like it was part of the performance. We all thought that Bruce was doing what Bruce might do, which sure. he's pretending like he's getting knocked out by the kids solo. I'm you're so great. Oh. I'm knocked out. That's what that's what we all thought. And with Bruce, the rule was just keep playing. Whatever he does, follow Bruce and just keep going. So we keep playing, keep playing. And Sam Skelton, Sam was playing sax. Sam, Sam leans over to me and says, he'd been down there a long time. Finally, um, one of the um, stagehands came out to, you know, went out to check on him. From one side of the stage to the other, the information traveled whispered down the lane but it wasn't said it just you know you could the 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 feel just went from one side to the other to hey something's wrong and then the um might have been longer than that um, could you imagine that what that must have been like for him i mean none of us know what it's like to depart the body but there couldn't be a what a a, a better scenario for him and friends yeah. yeah, yeah, and, and it just is par for the course for Colonel Bruce Hampton. Right, you know, like heard nobody it, else could go, could pull that off. I mean, he yeah. played his own funeral. Yeah, he played his own funeral, and just yeah, who you're right. Who who else have you heard of who's done that? Yeah, I mean, I'm never, sure there's been somebody who might have. Like he left out stage, absolutely on, on the at, at like the top. Everything was perfect, and it was perfect. on the encore. Such a crazy story. Now, Peter, you moved to Atlanta from Greensboro. North Carolina, that's where you're originally from. Yeah. When in the early 80s? Uh, 82, yeah. Fall of 82. Yeah, moved here. And at that time, I had just completed two years of uh, music college. I went to UNCG in Greensboro. It right. was a university in North Carolina in Greensboro. I had a really good music department. And, but, you know, I just sort of floating into everything prior to that right out of high school i'd gone on the road i floated into this cover band and uh, you know next thing i know is out on the road for two and a half years you know and get home twice in a year you know and it was playing lounges all over the southeast north midwest you know we we never went any further than say kansas you know uh but it was everywhere and it was a great experience and then i went to music school but then after i got two years under my belt i was like wait a minute the curriculum here is pretty much there was a performance based curriculum but the majority of the, the lenience it leaned more towards education it was music education for the most part and i was like i'm not going to be a teacher i want to i want to go play i want to go play sure and <laughs> then it was from there it's like all right well do i move to la or or where and it's like nah, I don't want to make that big leap. And I had traveled through Atlanta quite a bit, you know, during those days and late seventies, and just went, loved it every time I came through Atlanta. I loved it. There was such a thriving music scene in the late seventies here, or throughout the seventies, I'm sure. But what I was exposed to, and um, so I chose Atlanta and. 
moved down. I had a job where I was able to transfer down through the job and move comfortably and not be struggling, you know, doing right. peanut butter sandwiches move. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it all worked out. And so, yeah, I moved here and just you know, worked my way into the music scene, yeah, here I, over the years. But I read that you were working at a music, uh, what was the name of the... Uh, the music store? Yeah, yeah. I, well, the longest time was spent in Atlanta Discount Music, but I started at Rhythm City. Okay. I wanted to work at Atlanta Discount Music initially. Went there, and George Coates, the owner, asked, well, what experience do you have? Which I had zero. But I said, I can do it. And he goes, well, go go to Rhythm City. He'll hire you. And <laughs> work there for a little while, then come back here. And so, oh, okay, so I went to Rhythm City, and sure enough, they hired me, and boy, was that an experience. I mean, you'll hear all sorts of stories about Rhythm City, and it was known throughout the retail world. George Luther was the first of the discount house, high-volume sales, you know, where you could buy gear 40% off, and they carried everything. And so, man, it was just selling there at Christmas time. It was more or less like, fishing into a well-stocked pond, you know, there was, yeah, people just clamoring to get you to your attention to sell them something, you know, and, uh, it was crazy, you know, um, and there was a lot of other musicians that worked there and they would tell me, okay, if you're playing at night, then you need to sort of come in and set those parameters in advance. Cause otherwise you'll be here till 11 at night restocking the shelves. But if you, if you make it known that you are leaving at 7 PM, hella high water, because you've got to play, then he'll accept that. George Luther will accept that and you'll be off to go, you know, and everybody else will be staying till 11 or 12 at night. Yeah. You know? And so I was, I managed to do that. And so I worked there. I did my time there for a year and a half. It was an incredible experience. And then sure enough, I got hired at Atlanta discount and I worked there. And by that time I just started doing session work. I was able to get into the jingle work. You know, thanks to some other good friends, Pat Buchanan, this other guitarist that I knew who was well deep into that world and did a lot of work at Doppler and all these other, you know, at Crawford and places like that. Then from there in the mid, and was playing, traveling around playing, just gradually got into it. And initially, your big break, would would you say that before was uh, Pete Droge? The, that was the turning point. Yeah, that was a big break turning point. Right. For sure. How did you meet him or get hooked up with him? Well, um, through Brendan O'Brien, his producer, who was a friend of mine who had become, you know, a big time producer by that point, you know, had, you know, had success from first engineering. Well, the Black Rose record. He's, yeah, the first Black Rose, first two Black Rose records. He, he pretty much produced those, even though there was George Coolius who was the producer. It was it was Brendan who recorded those records and and produced them in the studio. George would come in and gave the band direction, but you know Brendan was doing it. Yada yada yada. So he he had risen to this level and he was producing Pete. So anyway, they were recording at Southern Tracks, which was literally five minutes down the road from Atlanta Discount. 
and uh, they'd come in and get s- supplies. And I met Pete from when I was working from behind the counter, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, while they were recording his first album. And then <clears throat> just out of the blue, so Pete's record had come out. The engineer who recorded it, Russ Fowler, who was recording it with Brendan producing, uh, had turned me onto the record. I had almost forgotten about meeting Pete in the store when he had come in the store, you know, because he was just this new kid that's coming into town to record a record, you know. So, but that record became my favorite record of the year, his first record. So it came out in January. I had it pretty much as soon as it came out because of Russ. And so in June, I get a call out of the blue from Brendan, and he goes, do you have a passport? And I just acquired a passport uh, in, to go over to Germany in March. And uh, so I said, yeah. And he goes, well, have you heard of uh, this artist, Pete Droge? I said, yeah. He says, well, he, uh, he starts a tour over in Europe in a week, and his guitarist just quit. You want to go? Yeah, and I went. Are you kidding? You know, I was thinking in my head, this is the guy that's my favorite album right now. You know, and I went. I would love to, but here's the thing: I cannot. I I can't rehearse because my nephew was already being on his way down, being brought down from South Carolina, where we were taking him to Disney World. Oh, really? (laughs) So. I said, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do this to him. Yeah, he's already on route, so I can't rehearse, but I tell you, I will know the stuff. I'll just be there, I'll be ready to play. And, and Brendan was like, woohoo, I like that. Yeah, he was all about that. Right. So uh, I get a call from Droge that night, Pete Droge that night, and I did the same sales pitch to him. And he just went, okay, the set list is, he just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was the extent of that conversation, you know, and it was like, all right. And so they worked it out to where they sent me, it was still cassettes at the time. Oh, well, okay. And oh, yeah. uh, they sent me cassettes. They overnighted them to Florida, yeah. <laughs> to Disney World, to the hotel. And while my wife and my nephew went out doing the rides and everything, I sat in the room learning songs. Oh, that's awesome. And then I flew out of Orlando straight to uh, to Germany for the start of the tour. And the first show was a big rockin' fest festival. And we were on at one, 1 o'clock. I met him that morning early. Pete. Pete. For the first time. For the first time. Or at least four. And his band. Right. You know. And... I remember I got in and I always, oh, the whole experience, I could go deep into it, but it was so funny meeting him the first time because he's, you know, they've been a party and everything and I'm <laughs> in the the tour manager's room and here comes Pete and he burst open the door and he goes, you want to rock? Our job is to make you want to rock some more. <laughs> 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 so that was my first impression of Pete. And I went, oh boy, here we go, yeah. you know.
had a 30-minute set. It was all it was. And it was in front of 40,000 people and live German MTV. Yeah. First for performance. First performance. Wow. And, uh, and I remember from the first bars playing on the first song, I had come out of the band I had at the time. I was in two bands, and one of them was my own instrumental band. And it was a rock instrumental band. You know, two guitars, bass, and drums. And we were just, you know, we were ahead of the beat always, you know. It was before I even really put much thought to being playing in front of the beat or behind the beat. All I know was we were on 10 all the time, you know. And so here I am with Droge and his drummer, who's an amazing drummer, Dan McCarroll, played a mile behind the beat. And so it was just like, you know, throwing on the brakes. And then it was like, oh, hell, I don't want these guys to think that I can't play, you know, play on the beat, play with the band, you know. So it was just an about face. I mean, there was all these experiences of just for the first time playing with these guys. And, uh, but, you know, and then walking off 30 minutes later after that massive crowd, you know with rubber legs and then the promoter he had a bottle of champagne on a tray and he said here you go everybody fabulous show <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and off and we were off to the races it was a full month tour yeah and that that started the whole thing and how long were you playing with pete so i ended up playing with him for three years uh and did two records with him that brendan produced okay uh, one was the which was his second and third records, Find a Door and Spacey and Shaken. And from there, and that's how I met Cheryl, is on the Find a Door tour. Yeah, I read that you guys were with Pete, you were opening up for her. Yeah, we opened tour, for her, and I'm right? pretty sure it was for the Find a Door tour. Okay. And uh, yeah, so we opened for her for a month. We we did some amazing tours. The, the first U.S. tour we did after that Europe tour, we were home for few weeks and then we went out for two months straight with tom petty and the heartbreakers nice and that was like going to school and you know we did amazing tours and then for find a door we toured all the way across canada with uh neil young crazy horse so here we are playing in his homeland yes from started in vancouver and ended up in halifax that was for a month you said yeah for a month What's he like, Neil Young? Oh, he was, yeah, well, his shows were amazing. He is a definitely... He seems like a very unique... Bigger-than-life yeah, character. Individual. He is One a, of a kind. He is quite a moving individual to be around, you know, and musical. And and his shows, he would never write out a set list. Um, so the band would just follow him, and, you know, you'd wait, and you'd see what he was about. They'd see what he was about to launch into, and then they'd switch if they need to switch another guitar or whatever to another guitar that's when they do it yeah right and so he would follow his audience you know to see where he was going to take it and uh and the shows always were special but then some of them were just beyond were out of this world in the energy that would come out of them to be able to see that many shows. You know, we tried to see at least a portion of every show, you know, on the tour and the same with the Petty and the Heartbreakers. I think I saw 20 shows on that tour. Right. 
um, because you would always get something from them, you know. And uh, and then so yeah, the the Neil Young, it was another going to school experience, and you know that was different from the Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers tour. Did you sp- did you have spend much time with Neil? Yourself? A little bit. Um, not a lot, but enough. I mean, right. they were social, and he would he would hold events where he'd pull both bands together, you know. And it was during the time when the Atlanta Braves were, you know, in the pennant or playoffs. Uh, was uh, no. What is he called? Freaking! I'm just brain farted. <laughs> when you know, what's the big game at the end? World, World Series. Series. World Series. They're in the damn World Series. Sorry. That's all right. And. Um, <laughs> So and they're playing the Yankees. Yeah. So this. And, yeah. So that was ninety six. Ninety six. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, if there was ever a game during that part of the tour, if there was ever a game on a gig night, they would have a big screen set up backstage. So, so we'd finish playing, game would be on, everybody would be huddled watching the game you know and here i am the one atlanta guy yeah you know? <laughs> right and uh, uh my experience of being put in my place well anyway meeting neil that was my first opportunity meeting neil and it was just simply hi my name my name's peter you know hi i'm neil <laughs> so we're watching the game and and uh you know wasn't going that well for the braves but then they hit a home run you know and it goes and and i Jump up from my yes, <laughs> and uh, and Elliot Roberts, that's his last, uh, his uh, manager, just uh, Neil's, Neil's manager, manager yeah. just immediately goes, sit down and shut up. <laughs> nice, <laughs> and shrunk to about you know. And this, you guys were in Canada in the World Series? This, at that one was Buffalo. I th- I'm pretty sure we were in Buffalo by that time. I think, you know, like we dipped down in right. by that right point. Right on the border, of course. Yeah, right. Now, what about Tom Petty and uh, Mike Campbell? Did you get to... Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were great. Yeah, they were always very social. And, and uh, yeah, so I had a chance to get to know both of them. And, yeah. It was a lot of interesting conversations. Sometimes nights off, you know, they'd say, hey, yeah, let's go meet up at a, you know, a certain restaurant or bar. They And they did, uh, you know, one night I was just looking at a picture that my wife has where there was a night off where Tom pulled both bands together for a dinner in New York City. And uh, pretty much, I think it was a smaller restaurant, so I think he just bought the restaurant for the night kind of deal, you know, and had one lawn table and for band crew, I think everybody was there. Then uh, at one point, uh, s- some cool music came on, you know, or something. Pete says, oh, man, I love this song. And Tom goes, yeah, I do too. He says, come on, we're dancing. Pulls them up, and they're both dancing on the table, uh, you know, the lawn table to go down and, Tom's like kicking everybody's drinks off and, <laughs> you know, they're doing this whole boogie and Lynn, my wife has a picture of it, you know. Nice. It was kept in touch all throughout the years and, you know, would go see them whenever they come through town sure. thereafter. And then after Pete drove, you 
got hooked up with Cheryl, and you've been playing with her now for, what, 22 years? Yeah, 22 years. So, yeah, we met. We did a month of touring with Cheryl, and that's how I got to know her. And all became buds again, yet again. And then just out of the blue, I was still playing with Pete, and uh, her management called, and Cheryl's putting a new band together, and she'd love to have you join the band. And at that time, I was we were on a gung-ho mission with Pete still, you know, promoting a record, and I turned it down initially. Really? Yeah, and um, just simply because, you know, Pete was really good to us. He, You know, we all had a cut in it the whole bit, you know, and just felt like we're, we got to do this, you know. And then I guess a couple weeks later or so, then – the his label pulled funding for the tour and then pete just said you know what i think that's it i'm we're going home. i'm going to send this home you know i want i, I just want to record or something like that so I went, okay and so as <laughs> soon as i got to a phone um hello by the way <laughs> is that spot position still available yes and so it's just sort of dovetailed into it you know and uh since then still you know pete and i recorded with pete and we were closest and best of friends you know where is he living now he lives uh just outside of seattle west seattle he lives on vashon island beautiful place out there gorgeous what so what uh what's cheryl like i mean is she a true professional? Do you spend much oh, time yeah. with her? Oh yeah, off yeah. The stage? She's oh yeah for twenty two years. I mean she she works and never lets the one of those never lets the dust settle, you know, and is always thinking of some other way to take it, whatever whatever she's doing. You, you know, it's never a dull moment. You never know. Yeah, all of a sudden she goes, hey, why don't we try this? Why don't we do this song or that, you know? So, you know, it's always exciting. There's always something, you know, new around the corner with her. And she's a, oh, she's bonafide, true musician. I consider her sort of a music chameleon because she can really convincingly pull off even genres that might not even be her thing. It just shows that she has taken in every kind of music throughout her own personal, you know, career and music path that uh, she pulls off anything authentically and then she'll go that direction, you know, she'll try, you know, for maybe even for an album or for, you know, definitely by song, you know. So she, uh, yeah, so... She's she's amazing and an incredible keyboardist, incredible singer. You know, between working with Droge and Cheryl and being exposed to all these other singers, if I had ever had any aspirations to sing, my th- the threshold that I feel like I would have to cross after working with people of their caliber keeps me from singing. <laughs> you know, I could do it or I I should try, but you know, because that's what music is. You just go wherever you want to go, you know. But uh they're so good and she is so good at her craft. You've co-written some songs with her, haven't you? I I have one song on an album that I co-wrote with her. I've you know, we've 
written stuff together here and there, but nothing, no, nothing to any level. Her main songwriting partner is Jeff Trott. Okay. Which is a whole small world thing because Jeff is a guitarist who left Droge, Pete Droge, the week before the European tour. Oh, wow. <laughs> Very small world. Yeah, it is. And, uh, and then when, um, I got called by Cheryl's management, by Cheryl wanted me to join her band. It was because uh, Jeff had been playing with her and he decided not to go on tour. <laughs> so I replaced him in Cheryl's band as well. Okay. And you all are on tour right now, right? Yes, so to speak. You know, we are back to playing dates again. We are back to playing shows uh post-pandemic and gradually building into it. Make-up dates, doing dates with Chris Stapleton that were make-up dates from prior to, that were scheduled for 2020. Is that as well a, as her own co-billing with Stapleton? Or? It's his show. I mean, he's, you know, he's so huge right now. They were originally stadium dates oh, wow. prior to the pandemic. And, uh, and, He's done a couple of stadiums still, but most of them to just due to the fact that not everybody's going to shows again. You know, are are back to amphitheaters and sheds. But we did two nights here, Chris, as the alternative to playing Truist uh, Field. They did two amphitheater nights, so we played in Alpharetta at Ameris. And then Lakewood, which is now Solaris or Solaris. Right, it's changed so many names. Yeah. And so they did those back-to-back nights, which I thought was a pretty clever way of doing it because now there's like two venues on two opposite ends of Atlanta. Right. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. And what about you, Joey? What are you up to now? What's coming up for you? Uh, well, next weekend, uh, I go to Vermont, um, and I'm playing, it's, it's a reunion show, uh, with the Unknown Blues Band, which is the band, uh, that my mentor, front Big Joe Burrell, um, and um, we're doing, um, uh, a theater, socially distanced, of course, uh, and, um, that's cool because I get to, you know, I get to do all the songs, but I get to be Big Joe, I mean, I'm not. I'm not him, but I get to play. You know, I get to play his role in the band, which is which is going to be a lot of fun. After that, um, I got a cool one in in New York, which is really cool. But I don't have all of the details. <laughs> but it's 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 actually very 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 cool in New York on the uh, 27th. Yeah, very cool. And uh, finishing up the record. Actually, I've been working on a song for Ike. I played it for Peter. The other, the other, so <clears throat> the other night when we were over here, um, and uh, when I, the last time, the last conversation I had with Ike, um, he could still talk. This was the day before he, he stopped being able to talk, and uh, we we would, you know, Peter had gone to the room and talked to him. We, he, you know, we called each went in individually just to, you know, to have a moment with him, and. Um, I went in and I said, uh, I said, hey man, uh, I said, is, there, is, is there anything you want me to do? Is there anything you want me to do? He's like, no, no, uh, no, nah, it's okay. 
I don't need, you know, you're not doing anything. I said, and he, and I said, uh, he said, you know, he said, and he looked at me, and, you know, with, with Ike, the way Ike would look at you. He's, oh, like, yeah. he's like, Joey, I love you. And I see you on the other side. I was like, cool, I see you on the other side. And so that's why I wrote the song called See You on the Other Side. about the tempo or the key just save a little taste for me I'll be coming through to play a little song with you we'll do it like we used to do I'll just wait for your cue I'll see you on the other side Peter's gonna play on it he's, he's oh you are nice yeah, yeah looking yeah. forward to that yeah. so it's a great song I mean it just hits the nail on the head it really does um speaking of Ike I mean that's where I met you uh, during Ike's last few days, and uh, you want, you have any stories you want to share about Ike um, or talk, say something? I mean, he was such a wonderful person to me, and uh, he touched a lot of people's lives. I just wanted to see if you would share anything. Wow, stories about Ike. I mean, like, Ike, Ike was more experiences to me, like... When I think of Ike, I just think of the music, and I just remember, you know, I mean, Ike and I would would talk regularly, and Ike was always good. Ike, <laughs> Ike was my big brother, Ike, and he reveled in the fact that he was my big brother, and he never let me forget that he was the big brother, and I, because I'm the oldest in my family, biologically speaking, so I wasn't used to having. A big brother, but Ike would tell you, "Hey, you should," and he would be right. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. hey. He's like, "I'm just trying to help." You know, I'm just trying to help you. I'm like, "All right, I gotta listen to it," because Ike had a right to an opinion. Oh yeah, uh, uh, and uh, you're both from Toledo. Ike left town before I even knew what music was, because Ike left when he was, I think, 14. He started um, traveling or mm-hmm. something like that, so he was long gone. Um, but um, I just remember. The, the the musical part of, of playing with Ike. All I'm saying is when Ike w- had the B3, that was cool because he had it tricked out. I mean, you know, we we dissected the, uh, well, Peter did a lot of like forensic research yeah. on his organ. On the B3, yeah. On his B3, yeah. He had it, he had a different speaker in the Leslie. There was a different, it was a different amp. Yeah, different yeah. amp. Yeah. It was it was by this guy, uh, Bill Beer, is his name. Who was the he was the B three guru guy in San Francisco from the seventies forward. You know, his first build was for the keyboardist was Santana, Greg Raleigh, and and Little Feet. Just went from there. He was the guy that would do the B three cut downs and everything. So and uh, apparently, Ike met met him out there when Ike lived in San Francisco back in the day. I played with plenty of B3s and B3 players, but none of them sounded like Ike, and none, none of it none of it felt like Ike. So when Ike was driving the band, now I'm not talking about, you know, like on stage with a big, you know, 
a big, you know, everybody's, you know, 10-piece, blah, 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 and you have a B-3-2. He was kicking pedals, and you got, you know, Ike, drums, guitar. That, it, it, it would just, like, take your body over. Like, literally, like, you could feel it all up in your chest and the, the hair on the back of your neck or whatever. It's like a goosebumps kind of a thing. Playing, playing with him in that context, it's like it was a spiritual experience. We are floating on, the room is lifted. We are all, nobody's feet are touching the ground. You know, like we're just like, it's a thing. It's a whole nother thing. And Ike could take you there. Like I could, I could lift a room um, and, and just crush it. But don't step out. There's a, <laughs> yeah, Mike was. Uh, he used he to was give drummers. Shooter. Oh my god, he used to put drummers <laughs> through hell. Because <laughs> they would get the look, man. It's like uh, he would give, and that look, it was like cold blood. I'm like, ooh, oh man, you could just feel the look. Like, hey man, no, nah, that is not what I'm trying to do right now. I've like, seen it. I've seen you him seen do the look. I've I'm seen like, him do it. and they were like. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but uh and just 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 an incredible player and an incredible spirit. Just just it's like family. That was like, it, you know, the look. Uh, on the opposite end, he also had that warming look, you know, <laughs> that you could feel radiate even through the telephone. You know? Yeah, cuz yeah, yeah. It would yeah. be that hey, hey Peter, hey, how Peter. you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. put a little shake on it. Yeah, hey, hey Peter. Peter. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. he was always just one to check in with you. You know, he'd always check. Hey, man, just checking in. Yep. What, what are you doing? I remember going to see him like ten years ago. Um, he was in Grady, and I went to go see him before I was going out to go fly somewhere for a show or whatever. And I said, I got to go see Ike before I leave town. And I went to go see him, and I didn't think that he was, I really doubted that he was going to be there when I got back in town. He looked that bad. But he beat it that time. That was 10 years ago. I was actually out in Portland, and I, I talked to his sister, and she said they're, they're taking, you know, the doctor said they can't do anything else for him. They're going to they're gonna send him to hospice, and he's going to do home hospice. And so I got on a plane the next day. And I'm so glad I did. That's why I got a chance to have that conversation with him uh, the day, you know, the next, when I got, when I got here, when I got there. The, that was when you was, and I first met. Yeah, 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 that was, that's when I was, first, babe, that was the first. That's how, you guys just met at Ike's house? Yeah, mm-hmm. that day. Before he passed away. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, I thought yep. you all had been friends for a while. No. Well, you know, we're kindred spirits. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, that's how I met you. Yeah, and yeah. It had traveled like parallel universes we never met in real right. life. Yeah. And right. then, you know, um, uh, it's so funny. Not funny, but, you know, uh, that's a... When you're helping someone go through transition, that's a very... Uh, 
a powerful experience. Um, and uh, I'm thankful to have been able to, to be there with Ike, for Ike, but not just for Ike, but for, for me, um, to to be able to 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 have that closure and, and same just like, with me. Well, you know, I mean, as soon as I found out he was under the care of hospice, I popped on the next flight, <laughs> and I miss him. That's for sure. Well, you just knew he was uh, uh, he was that special. There, there was something unique and different about him that you you just he he was that special spiritual individual that you just wanted to be with him you know, or you wanted to you know be around him in general and so uh, you know it was amazing during the whole period leading up to his passing of how he was on the fight you know he he was going to beat this yeah you know, he was all you know bound and determined and he he called me from the hospital for memory and he go Hey man, what are you up to? And I said, I'm just hanging out. You know, it's a pandemic, so we're not doing much. He's, he goes, man, I need some more protein. Would you mind going and give me some chicken or something and bring it down here to the hospital? They're not feeding me enough, and I need my strength. I'm trying to get my strength up. Hell yeah, man, I'm on my way. And um, so I'd bring it down. And of course, I couldn't go up. So. You know, Judgy came mm-hmm. down one time, or Brenda happened to be in town on another occasion. They'd come down and meet me at the curb and get it, take it up. I remember in the conversations about beating this. said, oh, yeah, I'm going to beat this. He said, hell, man. He he told me when he was going through chemo 10 years ago that uh, he said, I did chemo one day and played a gig that night. The next thing I know, a week or so later, I'm getting a FaceTime call from him. And it was him telling me that he was going under hospice care and that was mm. that was a big letdown and i was like oh really you know and but he was still when he called and we had had a facetime conversation before and he was looking he was wearing that that beach shirt he would always mm-hmm. wear you know he was he was he would dress up oh, yeah. in, in the hospital you know and he was wearing that when I was talking to him, even though he's laying there and he was sort of hooked up on stuff, but he was still, you know, presentable and wanted to be and put on that smile. Going back to what you were saying, it made, it made me want to be with him and be part of his transition. I mean, he, he asked me to help oversee the sale of all his musical instruments and so forth. And I went, oh, absolutely. I'll, I'll handle that. No problem. And so there was that aspect too, but it was more of just wanting to be with him and 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 through that transition, you know, because you go, okay, this is a guy that that deserves to. He's going someplace special. He's just he's just got another calling. He's he's being called. He knew that he was surrounded and supported and loved. I mean, and when he, you know, his uh, his two sisters, the the, the twins were were on either side of him up by his head and they were just stroking his head, we love you, Ike, we love you. And I was just, you know, rubbing his feet. I was like, you got this, man, you, you're good. And he he made his move. I don't think death is easy for anybody, but certainly to know that you're surrounded and supported and lifted. And um, and he he wrote out like, you know, like it. He meant a lot to me. I mean, he's the reason why I'm doing this. I followed him around some of his gigs and, he was uh, 
he also gave me some life lessons. I mean, he was. How long did you know him? How long? Uh, I met him at Anton's. I think it was October of 2018, and we just hit it off. I I met him uh, right before he went up, started playing. I just started talking to him. Never, I'd seen him perform uh, with other bands, Government Mule, and uh, Widespread Panic. But I didn't know him personally. And he, right off the bat, he was not shy about telling me his opinion on certain things. <laughs> and, uh, but he was just a very compassionate person. M- moving on, I, wanted, I did, did want to ask you about Stevie Nicks. Yeah. Did you, you worked on an album with her? Yes. Uh, Trouble in Shangri-La was the name of the record, I think. And yeah, it was just, that was actually the first thing I did with Cheryl. Uh, because Cheryl was producing a certain number of songs on the record with her at the time. And so that was at the end of 98. And, yeah, so uh, that was a, another big experience of flying to L.A. and and recording at Village Recorders in in the same room where they had that they had built out for Tusk to record Tusk. So, you know, that was home for her and and Ben Montench was on keyboards and and uh and then my friend Tim Smith was playing bass who had been in her band, so she had flown him out along with me. Matt Chamberlain was playing drums, great drummer. And uh yeah, so and Stevie was just such a sweet individual it was just so cool and just so down to earth and just she was a musician she was a singer and you know you knew you were in the presence of a star of somebody because she's got that star energy but she wanted you to feel that you were you were all on the same level you know you would introduce her as okay this is stevie Nicks, and it was stevie Nicks, a star but, you know, when you'd be introducing her to somebody. But in terms of working with her, in conversations with her, in the whole experience, you know, she was your best friend. Yeah. And still that way, you know, will still treat you, you know, treats us that way when we go to see her perform live. And it's almost like the conversation just picks up again. You know, she'll just go in. It won't be even like, hey, Peter, how you doing? It's just like, oh, so we were doing this thing, you know. <laughs> it just goes right into conversation, you know. she's And she's that way with, I'm sure, with everybody that's in her orbit, you know. So just a real dear person, you know. And then I also saw you, you played with Don Henley on a tour? Yes, and that stemmed from... Well, it was right after the first year of touring with Cheryl had ended, and she decided she wanted to take a year off, supposedly. She always says that kind of thing, and then we never keep, we never stop working. That's why I've been with her for 22 years. Right. But um, on this, this was after my first year of touring with her, and, you know, it had been a really busy year. So she, and she had been really busy all the way up leading up to that with her prior two records. So she needed a break. And so during that time, yeah, I just got a call from from uh, my friend Dan Mc. He's the president of music department at Amazon, but he he became, you know, uh, president or or CEO of 
Capitol Records at one point and all this stuff. He really went up into the ranks, Stan did. But early on in that, he he called me just out of the blue and says, hey, man, I hear Don Henley's auditioning guitarist and they haven't found anybody yet. I put your name in the hat. Is that all right? So then I get a call from Cheryl. And she goes, Hayes, what's this about you chasing down the Henley gig? <laughs> <laughs> and I went, no, no, no. I, you know, I was just told, you know, that he was auditioning guitarist. And I figured, well, you're taking a year off. Sure, why not? But I said, I'm your guitarist. So if you want, uh, you know, I'm playing with you, you know, whatever. I, I, and she goes, no, that's okay. I'm planning on taking a year off. You know, I'll put in a good word for you. So then the next call I get is from Don himself, you know. And, uh, and she did, boy. She put in the good word. She, he goes, I, I hear you can Xerox a song, and that's what I want. Nice. You know. All right. Thank you, Cheryl, you know. And so, yeah, went out and auditioned, got the gig. Are, is, are you and Cheryl, uh, is she planning on working on a new album anytime soon? You know, she's what she said recently, she did two records uh, just prior to the pandemic that were released. And, you know, when we were able to tour for them in 2019, 2018 and 19, she put out two records. And then after that, she said, you know what, I'm going to I'm not I'm I'm done making records. I'm just going to record songs and put them out when I want to put them out. Doesn't need to be a whole record album anymore you know with just the way everything's changing with streaming and everything and so that's what she's been doing as of late is when she wants to put out new music she just puts it out since i'm not in nashville i don't do as much recording with her i've gone up there occasionally Mm -hmm. but she's got every she's got our band up there our entire band's up there except me so oddly we'll go in and play with her on stuff or occasionally i'll go up and play with her but I mainly have been doing the live stuff with her. Uh, are you going to do anything on your own anytime soon? Yes. Uh, I keep saying that, but now I think I actually will have the time to do it, you know? And um, what that may be, I, I had a band, actually a part of the band, and that's how Ike, Ike was part of a band I had started called Big Hat. I had put that group together in 2010, 2011, and uh, and it was sort of this my own personal super group with oddly freed on guitar, and uh, and and it we put it together with Keith Gaddis, this really good dyed in wool Texas country uh, singer songwriter, um, and uh, and then. Robert Kearns on bass, Fred Eltringham on drums. Just incredible band. And then Ike. So here you have Died Mool Country as a singer. You have Ike, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, who's, you know, the pushing pedals, B3, Jimmy Smith, you know, carrying the torch of that kind of B3 playing. And us rock guys in the middle, you know, with also all the rock guys that have also had you know, country experience, whatever, just so many different, so many different experiences in one band. And Keith and I and Audley got together and wrote them, wrote a batch of songs, small, but yeah, three songs. And, and, uh, I 
book time at Southern Tracks, and I wanted Nick Dadia to produce it, who had been who had engineered all the stuff with Brendan O'Brien. We never played a note together until we got into the studio with that diverse group, you know, and it just, we knocked them out in two days, knocked out four songs in two days. get that band back together and actually with Ike moving to Nashville that was the talk Mm -hmm. was like oh well heck man if you're moving to Nashville you know he was going to call our bass player Robert and so he did he called Robert and Robert said well heck you can come stay with me until you get settled in I've got an extra room come come live with me until you find your place you know so it was already on track and I said well I'll I'll be up and We'll see if we can revive this thing. It's on all the streaming now, and I should have brought you a CD of it, but I'll get you one. But it's it's on Apple Music and Spotify everywhere. One thing I had done uh, in March, last March, was a thing I had been asked to contribute a song on a on a birthday as a birthday tribute to, to Kevin Kenny for as a birthday gift, I should say for Kevin Kenny of driving and crying. Right. And, uh, his wife asked if I'd like to play a song. Well, uh, one of Kevin's songs cover one of his songs. I'm like, what the heck am I going to do? I don't sing, you know, or I could sing, but, uh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> All right. I'll do some instrumental, you know? And so long story short, pulled it together it had Robert on bass, Fred on drums, and then I was thinking, well, heck, I'll get Ike to play on this too, and I played on it and just killed it. He mowed it down as you would expect, and and so then we did a video to go with it, you know, 
because that really had to be part of it anyway. So we did a video, and it was typical pandemic-style video where it's multi-screen. You know, everybody, like, he he recorded himself. He videoed himself at home. We all did our own, and then I put it together kind of thing. And uh, it came out great, but that, I think that turned out to be the last thing I had done before he fell ill. The last public thing. you joey what are you are you working on a, a new album yeah i i'm working on uh a new album i got a so i've been doing a lot um with um with the papa jay says project which is you know basically it's kind of like the the band moniker if you will the, the project name a la steely dan even though i'm papa jay i'm not papa jay says papa jay says is the thing but uh, uh, actually finished up uh, the video for the first single for that, and that's coming out um, either at the end of November or the 1st of December. Also, I just finished producing a record, a single for um, Rhonda Smith, who's Prince's, was, was Prince's longtime bass player 
and more recently with Jeff Beck. But I did two solo records with her. This is coming out um, November 5th. Actually, I spent <laughs> I spent <laughs> 10 hours yesterday with a remote... This is like the pandemic, remote video editing session. So the videographer is in, um, in, L- in L.A. And um, on Zoom, I'm able to see his screen, his desktop and his screen while he's doing edits in Premiere for the videos. It's Copperline Records. Actually, the label's out of Nashville. I can't wait to hear it. Uh, both of... Well, when you're going to be on tour for how long? Indefinitely. <laughs> you know, it'll be all that. Well, actually, no. We're tapering off a little more as we get into the holiday season, and then it'll crank up again eventually sometime next spring. I'm looking forward to finally having a chance to get together with some friends and so i'll get something out there eventually in the next couple of months well i'm uh i'm glad that spiritually ike kind of brought us all together and i enjoyed speaking likewise to, speaking to both you guys and um look forward and to listening to your material this is cool man thanks for thanks for doing this yeah man. well uh once again thank you so much I think I hear a thunderstorm. Do you guys hear that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's rolling. Yeah, I heard it's rolling, it coming down. It's rolling past. We're good. But anyway, uh, it's been a blast, and uh, I look forward to seeing you both play in the near future. We'll make it happen. Yeah. All right, man. All right. Okay. All right. Thank you. Enjoyed it, Tom. Yeah.